The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to Squawbox this Wednesday morning. Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick and Jeff Cutmore. These are your headlines. NASDAQ posts its worst day since September 2020, with tech stocks hitting a fresh 12-month low, compounding heavy losses for U.S. markets in April. Elsewhere, Russia cutting off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria, following through on earlier threats in what a top Ukrainian official calls the beginning of the gas blackmail of Europe. Changes at the top for Credit Suisse. Uh, the bank announces adjustments to its executive board while confirming a first quarter loss and a tough time for client activity. We'll hear from the CEO at 8 o'clock CET. A stronger than expected forecast sends shares of Microsoft higher in extended trade, but Alphabet disappoints on declining YouTube revenues as CFO Ruth Porat attributes part of the disappointed quarter to the tech giant's pullback from Russia. The second quarter results will continue to reflect that we suspended the vast majority of our commercial activities in Russia. A rough old day on the street. Investors still concerned about the COVID situation in China and the impact that will have on supply chains in coming weeks and months. And of course, uh, the big issue around tightening from the Fed, that continues to be a dominant theme on rates markets and spilling across to equities. And of course, uh, what we're seeing across earnings season as companies uh, manage to uh, disclose what they're seeing now and in coming quarters and some of the weakness we're seeing in those report cards. You can see across the board, it was a slump of 2% plus for some of the major indices, more when it came to those big tech names, down close to 4%. So what we've seen over the course of April, despite what looked initially to be an okay month, we've now seen the major indices down at least 4%, 12% off the NASDAQ in the month of April so far. So in terms of losses, they have been sizable. And this is a market that is readjusting to this tighter interest rate environment. Already we had a precursor from Netflix, the start of earnings season from the tech giants, giving us a sense that perhaps some segments of the market may still be be overvalued. Of course, we've had the, the opposing narrative from the likes of Tesla, Twitter, with the Tesla uh, boss, Elon Musk, making that huge bid for Twitter, which has given us another narrative that maybe there's still value left on the table here. But I think if you look by and large at the stock trade yesterday, investors very much pulling back. And if we can just flip over to those tech stocks, you can see how it played out. Don't forget, it's the big week for tech reporting. So that caution is also telling you a story about investor concerns. Uh, a lot of the numbers coming after the bell too. Now, Apple stock down 3.7%. Meta, the uh, company known as uh, Facebook, 3% down as well. Bigger falls for Amazon, 4.5% south. Microsoft, as we talk about earnings that came out uh, later on, 3.7% down. Netflix still sliding. But for me, the interesting one was Tesla, down 12% market reaction to the news around that acceptance of the bid from Twitter, from Elon Musk, and the market just assessing the implications here. What does it mean? Will Elon Musk have to sell some of his stock to pay for this equity component of Twitter? And will some of it be pledged as collateral? So you could see uh, there was a reversal. And of course, some of the big issues that we mentioned around the set yesterday as to whether there could be a much more distracted Elon Musk in the EV race and what that could mean for Tesla's fortunes. 
And look at the Asian markets picking up on this weakness from Wall Street. It is a mixed picture, as you can see. The market's very much linked to the United States, the likes of Japan and Australia. Those markets fading in trade today. But we do have patches of green around the Hong Kong market and also China that is uh, putting in a modest gain this morning. To those U.S. futures, what's in store? I'm not sure how much this tells us. I mean, you may recall this time yesterday, we saw a little bit of green on the board suggesting that Wall Street would uh, add to some of the green it experienced a day earlier. But then as we moved throughout the session, we saw that starting to fade and right up to that Wall Street trade, which of course uh, showed us the turmoil that we had in markets. So the, the futures, I think, yesterday were so out of kilter with what tra actually transpired over the course of the day. Yeah, no, it was an absolutely fascinating session for so many reasons. And for actually a few of the reasons, dare I say, that you and I flagged up over the last 48 hours. And the point that we were making is that the destiny of the NASDAQ and the destiny of the S&P and the broader US indices will be determined by these big Titan players this week. And of course, what's going on at the macro level with the Federal Reserve. If we park the macro for a little bit and just look at the numbers out from the likes of Google, uh, Alphabet, uh, and indeed the likes of Microsoft, they were absolutely fantastic numbers. And, and I guess the messaging uh, from Alphabet is where the concern is. Messaging that actually there are potentially some tough comparisons in certain parts of their business. But when you look at Azure, you look at certain parts of the business that have driven these stunning share price moves uh, in Microsoft and Alphabet over the last couple of years, those growth drivers are very much in pace, albeit uh, in, in terms of advertising at Google at a lower pace. And I just took a long look at some of the share prices and where they've come from. And the thing is, the earnings support uh, is fantastic from the likes of Microsoft and Google, but the valuation support isn't what it would have been uh, a year or two ago. The, the numbers show that the, the stocks have rallied extraordinarily to the stage where Microsoft still trades on 26 and a half times forward. Now, you've got to remember, this is a stock, okay, it's significantly off its highs of around about 340 bucks for Microsoft, now down to about 270 at the end of the session. But this is a stock that was 83 dollars five years ago. It's a stock that actually, uh, just before the crisis in late 2019, was $150. So we're talking about a stock that's pretty much doubled uh, in uh, the last three years and quadrupled in the last four years. And it's a very similar story, I know, over at Alphabet as well, where Alphabet, uh, four years ago, for instance, or three and a half years ago, was trading at $1,000. It's now $2,373, despite all of those concerns. Now, that doesn't mean to say that these companies are overvalued, of course, because they're growing into those valuations. But I guess the question for our viewers today is, is the rest of the market growing into the diminished valuation we have now? Uh, and, and when you look at the broader NASDAQ composite, it trades on something like 22, 24 times now, uh, forward PE as well, which is actually beginning to look interesting if if you trust those earnings valuation, and therein lies the problem. The problem is we don't know which way is up or down at the moment. I mean, there's so much confusion out there in the market. It should be no surprise that there's volatility. You think about all the pandemic noise still that's in some of these stock trades. Some of that is starting to fade, but then some of it's coming back in because of the China lockdown story. We've got this tightening cycle. I mean, we, I mentioned yesterday, you've got 50 basis points around the corner, potentially from the Fed, and, and goodness knows what afterwards. No wonder people are concerned about the tightening pace. And then Russia. Look at the numbers uh, around YouTube uh, that were in the alphabet numbers. That was confusing. We thought that we would see a, a pick up in the numbers on that YouTube component because people were so apparently turning off from the likes of Facebook and, and Netflix and going elsewhere to YouTube. But then there was a big drop in the advertising there with uh, Russia implications. So I think it was just a noisy old uh, number that a lot of investors were looking through in this earnings season. So no doubt we are seeing that volatility because we just don't know how to price a, a business model. 
hard stock for many good reasons as well. The problem is, can it continue to grow into what is a lofty valuation? I think that's what people are asking. Yeah, with cyclical headwinds now. But let's just come back to the big story around Russia, which has cut off gas supplies to Poland, according to the European Union's operator data, in a move described by Kyiv as the beginning of the, quote, gas blackmail of Europe. Moscow had warned it would halt energy exports to both Poland and Bulgaria, who are both NATO and EU members, signalling a major escalation in response to Western sanctions over the invasion of Ukraine. Polish gas consumption is nearly 50% dependent on its Gazprom imports. The Russian company said supplies to Warsaw were not yet out, but that the country needed to comply with the Kremlin's new order of payments. The countries are required to pay for the commodity in rubles. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Washington is actively looking to help its European allies move away from reliance on Russian gas. For the last several months and even prior to the invasion, we have been working to increase natural gas supply and options to European countries that have been reliant on uh, Russia for natural gas supply uh, in anticipation of the possibility of this happening or a decrease in what they're providing. So some of that has been asking some countries in Asia who have excess uh, supply to provide that to Europe. We've done that in some cases um, and it's been an ongoing effort, but I can see if there's anything specific for Poland given this recent announcement. Right, let's move on to uh, this side of the Atlantic. Credit Suisse has confirmed a first quarter loss of 273 million Swiss francs after litigation provisions topped 703 million Swiss francs. The bank has also unveiled a slew of changes in the executive board, including the departure of the CFO David Mathers. Uh, Credit Suisse says the adverse market environment has weighed on wealth management client activity, but predicts it should benefit from rising interest rates later in the year. Now, Jeff is working hard in Zurich this week, as you well know. Uh, yesterday, speaking to Ralph Harmers over at UBS. Today, he's moved over to the square in Zurich to speak to Thomas Godstein, who is the CEO. That interview will bring you dead on 800 CET. When a stock falls aggressively, over a multi-year period, you have to then say, is this stock a uh, brilliantly value opportunity or is it a uh, value trap, a bear trap, so to speak, what have you. And, and the problem with Credit Suisse is there are a lot of other peers out there who are negotiating the current situation on the macro actually a lot better. And there are other banks out there in Europe who are valued not particularly expensively compared with US peers, who don't have the same internal, persistent internal upheaval that Credit Suisse has. So when I look at shares which have fallen aggressively, and I think that board shows 30% in my little eyes, are they? Yeah, 30%. <laughs> uh, they're not little, but they're just bad these days. Uh, 12, <laughs> over the last 12 months, 6.6. Uh, Swissy is where it's currently trading. So it's trading at levels it hasn't traded at in years to the downside. The problem is, has that left it in value territory? Now, if you looked on a price to book basis, it trades at a discount to many of its peers. The problem is when you see persistent upheaval in the boardroom, persistent upheaval uh, with some of the growth areas, including, as they flagged today, wealth management, consistent problems uh, over at the litigation front as well. And people just say, it's just too much hassle. Why would I bother with Credit Suisse? And there's perfectly good other banks out there, slightly trading at a premium. Why don't I just go with one of them? They don't have the same internal issues. Well, the bad news continues. I mean, we use all these terms about kitchen sinking in the business community, uh, skeletons in the closet, but this just keeps on getting worse. We keep on hearing more and more bad news from the company. So at what point does it end is the question we've been asking for many, many months now. And there's an admission today, you see another shuffle in the, in the team that they do not have the right people in place.
best to manage the business. Uh, these legacy issues, these are cultural issues, you know, the, the flush out is not complete is what it's telling us. When it comes to the descriptive words to use here, I mean, what they say 2022 will be a year of transition for Credit Suisse. What was 2021? Was it the year of turmoil for Credit Suisse? I mean, how many more terms can we use to describe what it's going from, through in the process here? The other point in terms of new information around the geopolitics here, I think what's interesting is the exposure to Russia because if you think about the allegations that have come out in recent years, it's about who they were doing business with, whom they should not have been doing business with. And the questions all along as the situation's been unfolding with Russia is, well, what's the exposure to Russia? Are they going to be complying with the sanctions regime? And what does that mean on the business? And we've heard here that their net credit exposure to the Russian financial institutions is down 67% since the end of 2021, and they're continuing to reduce their exposures. So that's a, a large fall, obviously, that we're talking about here in terms of those links to Russia. Yeah, I will add just one more comment as well, and that is that they're expecting the tough um, situation to uh, to persist, but um, the higher interest rate environment should benefit them at some stage wealth management. Well, do you want to tell that Credit Suisse to your friends over at the SMB? Because I think they are steadfastly terrified of raising rates. The SMB is steadfastly stuck to negative 0.75 as well. They are steadfastly terrified of a rising Swissy in the current environment as well, the currency as well. So I don't see a rising domestic interest rate increase over at Credit Suisse. Of course, we see it elsewhere in other jurisdictions globally, not notably Japan, where the yen continues to fall aggressively. But it's a very mixed picture on interest rates. And yesterday, the 10-year yield on the uh, treasuries in the States fell to 2.7% from 3% because of all those concerns you just mentioned about Russia and COVID and elsewhere as well. I don't necessarily see the follow-through from better interest rates for a Swiss-based bank uh, boosting their wealth management activities later on in the year. It's a great point we've seen in the past around jurisdiction where you're based. I mean, Santander has been a great example in recent years. You're exposed in some of the year markets with higher interest rates. You do much better on the on the margin. So it does come back to where you do business. But just one final point here, because we were talking yesterday around UBS, and we were down, as Jeff said, to speculating around how it had performed versus Credit Suisse, given all the problems and where the clients were turning away. If you look at the first line in Credit Credit Suisse today, they're saying the first quarter of this year has been marked by volatile market conditions and client risk aversion. Now, compare and contrast to yesterday around the line that UBS was uh, having in its release, it's saying our clients continue to put their trust in us to navigate this environment. Slightly different. I mean, I wonder whether the Credit Suisse executives are getting, oh, no, there's too many issues right now to give you our money. We've got geopolitics, well, we've got high interest rates, say. you know, we've got so many issues that no, 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 we're not going to commit any more money at this Lucky place. old Thomas Gottstein speaking to Jeff this morning because uh, <laughs> Jeff is more than aware than even more than you and I of all these amazing issues as well and extraordinary issues and challenges so uh, full marks to Credit Suisse for taking the interview but I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating I think that's must see TV in 45 minutes time right uh, let's uh, segue to Deutsche Bank and I was making the point this is actually off camera that it feels a lot like Deutsche Bank's woes back in the day as we were talking about all the problems well, that Deutsche Bank had at 0.36 yeah. despite the rally though <laughs> they, they're on a price to book they are competing for the Victor Ladorum of badness in terms of valuation right. uh, in Europe. So let's take a look at Deutsche now in terms of the Q1 uh, net attributable to shareholders. That's at 1.06 billion euros. Q1 fixed sales and trading revenue that was up 15%. So we're still talking double digits here. Uh, Deutsche Bank analysts had expected a net result of around 950 million euros. Uh, that was consensus. So it seems as though we've got uh, a better number coming through today. In terms of Q1 net revenue, 
That has crossed at 7.328 billion euros. The bank says it's further reduced Russian credit exposure during this quarter. Again, that's a common line that we're seeing. And that ruble cash balances with the Central Bank of Russia were 0.9 billion euros at the end of the quarter. The CFO says they're well positioned for delivery on 2022 targets. So some clarity on the outlook. Welcome here at this point, given all the mixed events we've been talking about. They say their group and core bank revenues are expected to be slightly higher. They say while the direct financial exposures to Russia and Ukraine are contained, higher order effects uh, may see some downside impact. They expect the investment bank revenues to be slightly higher in 2022 compared to the prior year. And again, on the environment, we've just heard how difficult it is. And uh, Deutsche is saying the current environment is increasingly challenging and cost pressures have intensified, which is an interesting line because don't forget these were banks that were trying to strip out yeah, more were. costs, weren't they? You are so right. We were very much hearing a line and the analysts are saying that's what they're going to be doing. They're just going to keep on cutting. Maybe they should do what the Irish are doing at the moment, but they're having their own problems. Did you see uh, the, one of the big bosses who we speak to, Francesca Madonna, she's mm. resigned over in, uh, in Ireland, in Dublin, right. because they think that the €500,000 pay cap for bosses in the banking sector in Ireland is deterring talent from that sector. That would be a way to lower your costs, but then you might see that that well-talked-about mythological talent exodus. And yeah, in the current environment, there are job... growth area, haven't they? They are hoping for the exit and the payday that comes with the exit on the track. James von Moltke uh, will be speaking to Annetta um, a little bit later on. So absolutely fascinating to hear what uh, Herr von Moltke has to say later on. Uh, Commerzbank has posted preliminary, I hate the word preliminary, preliminary first quarter operating profit of 544 million euros, nearly double forecast. Wow. Uh, strong consumer demand gave the German lender a boost with the overall customer business rising by 12% to 2.7 billion euros. However, the bank has increased its provisions from the Russia-Ukraine war, which now stand at over 700 million euros in total. Coming up on the show, a tale of two tech giants as growth in online advertising slows at Alphabet, but Microsoft takes heart from a robust performance at a key unit. I can tell you it's a zero. There you go. Uh, we'll have some details after the break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Alphabet shares fell in extended trade after the tech giant missed on both the top and bottom lines in the first quarter as momentum slowed in online advertising. The Google parent company saw profits fall by $1.5 billion in the first three months of the year, with revenues added to YouTube unit also well short of expectations. Alphabet's traffic acquisition costs, that is a measure of how much the company pays other websites to acquire traffic, also came in above expectations. And Google's cloud business was a bright spot in the quarter, topping estimates with growth of 44%. Alphabet CFO Ruth Porat warned of headwinds for the second quarter as she addressed investors on the conference call. 
the largest impact from COVID on our results was in the second quarter of 2020, which means that in the second quarter of 2022, we will face a particularly tough comp as we lap the recovery we had in the second quarter of 2021. Additionally, the second quarter results will continue to reflect that we suspended the vast majority of our commercial activities in Russia. Switching to Microsoft now, which added almost $100 billion to its market value in extended trade, with shares jumping almost 5% after the tech giant topped earnings and revenue forecasts. The software maker was boosted by its cloud and software units, with revenue from its Azure units and other cloud services jumping by 46%. Microsoft also issued a bullish outlook for future quarters, with CEO Satya Nadella claiming that software is the only deflationary product in an inflationary environment. And let's get to Paddy Flood, Global Sector Specialist at Technology at Schroeder's. Paddy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let me kick it off with Microsoft. Plenty of upbeat news and upbeat commentary uh, from the conference call. Is there any sense that Microsoft could still be a standout winner for the stock market? Morning. Um, yeah, I think there's quite a few bits of evidence that suggest that Microsoft could be a, could be a winner going forwards. Um, a company of that scale producing 18% growth, guiding to very strong growth in the next quarter, and even talking about uh, the following year being seeing growth in the healthy double-digit range is pretty impressive. And it's clear that I think that Azure, as the sort of cloud service platform it is, and the scale it's growing at is going to be a key driver of that, that growth going forwards. What about the issues around supply chain? I mean, we've got uh, the PC business here as we talk about some of the issues around the post-pandemic fade for technology and particular devices when it comes to that part of the business, but also Xbox. Should we be concerned about any of that to causing some lumpy numbers? I, I think there's, there's right reason to be concerned in a way. So we've had some days that the PC market is rolling over. But that's, that's particularly on the consumer side of things. And Microsoft has been able to print some pretty healthy numbers with their more PC-orientated businesses. And so that bit more exposed to commercial, which is higher margin um, business for them. So whilst there is some concern around the PC market, and, and that does translate into gaming as well, there's evidence to suggest that, that commercial is offsetting that weakness. But the CFO did allude on the call that if supply chain issues in China, for example, get worse, then there could be some downside to what they have guided to for those, those businesses. Paddy, there's an awful lot of rubbish out there that we were sold. Many of our viewers perhaps sold a pup on the fat on their growth models and business models. Microsoft and Alphabet are not two of those companies. They are solid companies with big futures ahead of them and a huge huge support in the market. My problem is the entry point for our viewers. Both stocks have fallen aggressively from their highs, albeit by a much smaller margin than some of the less illustrious peers out there. What about the entry point for our viewers? Should they get in now or actually should they wait for further declines? So I think when we look at look at these stocks and, and Microsoft in particular, the valuation is, is fairly attractive at these levels. And that's due to the fact that but people often underappreciate the longevity of growth that's in front of them. And if I look at, if we go back to Microsoft, you can see that with with Azure and the run rate for growth that we have there, and that's given, you can look at a lot of different metrics, um, whether it be Satya Nadella's guide for IT spend, the percentage of GDP doubling over the next decade, or the percentage of workloads that are moved to the cloud, which just does underpin very strong growth over a multi-year period. And you combine that with fairly high levels of profitability for a fairly reasonable multiple, I think that, that's, that's a quite an attractive setup. 
Are they worth double what they were three years ago, give or take? And I'm being very um, talking in the round there, but give or take those valuations. Are they really worth double what they were? They still had growth potential three years ago. They did, but I guess the... Um the consistency of delivery since then and the fact that people have become more comfortable with that cloud transition story and what it will mean for, for long-term growth and profitability, it does justify where we are today. And, and, and as I said, the multiple does look, look fairly attractive for this business. Paddy, can I move on to Alphabet and to Google in particular? Because it was such a mixed report card. We saw the impact on European ad sales, particularly around YouTube. And we just heard a, a few days earlier that the likes of Netflix and some of the other platforms were losing out to YouTube and TikTok, the, this uh, slightly different format uh, in the streaming universe. But yet we saw in these numbers it was a miss. Also that the company had to spend up to also compete with TikTok. That's the story we've seen in the past that you had to spend money to make money. What did you make of the, the numbers that we saw from Alphabet? So unfortunately, Alphabet doesn't really fall within my coverage, but the area that I look at closely for Alphabet is GCP, um, the cloud business. And I think there was a bit of a bright spot, as you said earlier. Uh, growth at 44% is, is, is pretty healthy, um, but it's always good to sort of compare that to other cloud vendors like Microsoft, where the numbers were that bit better. And I think the sort of positioning relative of, of Microsoft Cloud is that bit stronger, given their ability to sort of cater to uh, on-premise and cloud needs of their customers. Just on those cloud numbers then, what we had 44% up for Google Cloud. Then when it came to Microsoft, we saw 46% up for its Azure business. Amazon out with numbers later on Thursday. Does this say something about the sort of pace of growth we can also expect from that part of the Amazon business? I think, I think there's some very clear read-through between all these businesses. Um, they played similar trends. They do have their different strengths, but they do all sort of hope to capitalize on, on the cloud market going forward. So, yes, I think there's read-through there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.